we're going to be talking about a topic that really, really gets, gets me going, gets me excited. And so my hope, my hope is that you would leave here tonight knowing Jesus more. You would know the Bible more clearly and that you would walk away with some practical steps of growth. You know, as you know, here at NCC, we're in a year to advance. Everybody see advance. Advance. And for that to happen, we're going to have to lean into giving, growing, and gathering. Right? And so we've been in this series looking at this idea of discipleship. This idea of growing. Being a learner. Being someone who leans in to learn. But specifically, we're not just a disciple of just anyone. We're a disciple of Jesus. And then we're caught with this idea of being consumed with being like him. It's more than just learning about the person like you would in a history book. It's to say, I want to know how he feels, how he thinks. I want to know his attitude, and I want to be like that. I want to think like that, talk like that, be like that. I want to be like him. Disciples of Jesus are people who are consumed with the idea of being like Jesus in every way of their life. And so we spent the last several weeks looking at how to become a disciple of Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? A disciple of Jesus spends time beholding Jesus through reflection. Belonging to Jesus through repentance and behaving like Jesus through reaching or serving. Where scripture is central, the Bible. Where community is necessary and the Holy Spirit is the means. You know, once we've made it a lifestyle of beholding and belonging and behaving in a community with scripture and living by the Holy Spirit, what do we do next? What's that next step? We don't become a disciple of Jesus just for ourselves. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is actually making more disciples of Jesus. Not a novel thought, but as we're going to look and see tonight, we're going to see how you really can't behold, belong, and behave without building. Without being in the process of building other disciples. It's a part of our community. It's a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because after all, after beholding, after belonging, after behaving, right? We've got to make more disciples of Jesus. And how do we do that? How do we build disciples of Jesus? But before we get into that, I think it's important that we understand that there are some obstacles to that. Because even as I say that, hey, you, yes, you, you need to make more disciples of Jesus. I think the first thing we feel is that we feel that we aren't enough. I don't even read my Bible enough. I mean, you want me to make a disciple of Jesus? I don't even, What? I don't know Greek. I couldn't tell you the. I couldn't tell you a psalm in the Bible. What? But I'm supposed to make a disciple, man. I I don't even have it together. Or some of you may feel, well, I don't have enough time. I mean, between my job, my kids, my family, my hobbies. I mean, the baseball games. I mean, it's like, I don't have time. I mean, this seems. I'm making a disciple seems like a long, in depth process. You're talking about beholding, belonging, and behaving. Wow, that's quite a bit. Or we feel maybe we don't know what to say, right? They're going to ask questions that we don't know how to answer. And so we just avoid it altogether. And it sounds very novel and it sounds exciting. Let's go win the world. But then we feel so, right? It's like, uh, but what, what, what do I say? Frankly, we, most of us feel maybe we don't know the way to do it. We think it's only for pastors and preachers. That's wrong. That, that's why I pay my tithe, right? For the pastor preacher make disciples. You know, isn't the shepherd supposed to make more sheep? Actually, sheep make more sheep. And so we don't we don't know what to do, and so we just don't do it at all. It's a, it's a it's a taboo topic. And so, frankly, if I'm really gonna say it, the biggest obstacle is that we're afraid. Because being a disciple of Jesus is one thing. That can actually pr- be pretty private. But when you start getting in the business of making disciples, all of a sudden your faith is made public very quickly. Because now you have to stand for the thing that you profess. You actually have to be the thing that you say you are. And that's why being a disciple of Jesus isn't just beholding and belonging and behaving, but building. Because building, what, what, what 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 do you do when you build something? You ever built a house? You ever built a company? You ever built something? It requires skin in the game. Your name is on it. It costs you more. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is that building aspect of making more disciples. And we've got to overcome, and what we're going to see tonight, we're going to see that we can overcome some of these common obstacles that keep us from building and making disciples 
that Jesus calls us to. And so tonight I want us to spend, spend some time together looking at building. Everybody say building. We're going to be builders tonight. Bob the builder. We're going to do this. The first point I want us to look at is this idea that Jesus commands us. He doesn't su- suggest it. He doesn't just think it's a good idea. He mandates it. He commands us in the imperative. Make disciples. We're going to go to a very common text in the Bible, Matthew 28. This is also known as the Great Commission. Reggie, have you ever heard of the Great Commission? All right. This, this is what we're talking about. When people say that, this is what they're talking about, Matthew 28. And it says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. To give a little context, this is at the end of Matthew's gospel. A real man named Matthew, his, his Roman name was Levi, he was a real man. He wrote this gospel, and it's, it's his take on Jesus. But who he was writing it to was predominantly a Jewish community that had been excommunicated out of Jerusalem for believing that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ. And so here they are, these Jews whose whole identity was wrapped up around the temple. They're confused about who they are. And so Matthew's saying, let me tell you about who you are and whose you are. And he gives them a mission, something to identify with. That's why Matthew, when you read the Gospel of Matthew from all the way from 1 to 25, which you'll, 28, what you'll find is that there's this motif of instruction, a lot of Jewish motifs and themes that, that appeal to a Jewish sensibility. So there's a lot of teaching. It's where we get the, the Sermon on the Mount in all of its detail. Luke gives a, an abbreviated amount, but Matthew gives a full exhaustive account of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He goes through all of the stories, all the parables that are very Jewish-centered. But what's funny is that when, when Matthew's writing this, he's writing this to this community that needs to know who they are. And, he, and what he gives them, and, and he gives them meaning. He gives them a mission. This is who you are. This is what you were always meant to do. It's in this context that we read the Great Commission. It's a part of our identity. Think of it like this. You were a part of a nation that you didn't know who you were, a people that, you, that weren't collected, that weren't in unity. And all of a sudden, you hear this gospel that calls you in and gives you an identity and a mission now. Not just to be, but to build, to make more, to give your life to this cause and let that be a part of who you are at your core. Not just something that you know that you should do, but a part of who you are. So when you read the Great Commission, it's more than just like a, like a commandment like, thou shalt not steal. I better not steal. You know, thou shalt go. Oh, I better go and make disciples. No, 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 no. It should be a part of who you are. And that's why Matthew wrote the Great Commission and ended it with amen to this Jewish community that, that forgot who they were. Because it wasn't tied to geography or a temple. It was tied to the gospel. Lean into the mission. Let it be a part of who you are. Identify with it. And so here the resurrected Jesus is drawing his disciples and he's giving them this. He says, wherever you go, I want you to make disciples and I want you to include them, baptize them, and I want you to teach them. Some scholars believe that this is the 500 disciples that were gathered at the time that Jesus appeared. So it's not just the, the 11. Judas had already betrayed him and died, killed himself. These are the 11 that are here, but it was, it's believed that the other 500 are there as well. And when he's appearing, he's giving this great commission. It's in the sight of these 500 disciples, people who have been affiliated with Jesus. And what's interesting, a little side note, is that only 120 were found in the upper room. How many actually answered the call of the commission? A little side note here. I believe the one that ended up in the upper room were the people who heard that commission, tried to do it, and realized they need power. And so they went into an upper room and just prayed and waited because you gave me the commission, but I don't have the power, so here I am. And then tongues of fire set on them, and they spoke with glossolacia, other language. But it started with a desire and an identity to say, I resonate with that. You've called me to do this. It's, you've commanded me to do this. Make more disciples. 
what if the most important thing about your life is not the job that you hold? It's not even the ambitions that you have. What if the most important thing, the reason why you're still on planet earth is to make more disciples? What if that was your identity? What if that's what you woke up in the morning and you said, I am a no, nurse, a coach, a father, a mother, whatever you want to identify as. But what if you woke up and you said your central identity was this, I'm a disciple maker. That is who I am. That is the level of the Great Commission. It's more than just a post-it. It's more than just a mission that, that we get to rally under and then leave and go home and do our own thing. It's a part of who we are. That's what I'm wanting you to see. We should never speak about the Great Commission. God saying, Jesus saying to us to, to make more disciples as something that is optional. It's a part of who we are. So Jesus commands us, you and I, the church, the disciples, those who, what, behold, belong, and behave, to build. And let it be a part of who you are in your community, wherever you're at. Let it be a part of your language in your home. Let it be a part of your friendships. That what you talk about is, hey, did you, are you building disciples? Like, I'm, I'm working on this one guy, man. I'm, I'm trying to reach these kids, man. I'm trying to. It should be the, the way we talk to each other because it's such a part of our community. Are you guys getting that tonight? So Jesus says, I want you to make disciples. It's not just for pastors and preachers. Who knew? It's for disciples of Jesus. They are to make disciples. And the church said, amen. But what's great about this is that we don't do it alone. I love this. Jesus said this, all authority in, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Here's what Jesus promises. He promises this. Jesus promises to back up your words about him. Did you know that? So when you say that he can heal, he really does heal. When you say that he can restore that marriage, he really can and does restore that marriage. Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and in earth. So the words you say about me, I'm man enough to back them up. You don't have to be ashamed of this gospel. The thing I'm asking you to build and make, it has merit. It has, found, it has foundation. It has substance. I will back up the words that you say about me. He has authority over hell, sin, death, Satan, the world, every principality and power. He's what people are looking for, and he's deserving of worship. He has all authority. Not only that, he says this, and I love it, he bookends it. He says, I have authority. Go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And by the way, and remember, don't forget this. I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Time and geography, you cannot run me. I will be with you when you do it. I love that Jesus promises to be with us in the process of building disciples. It's not something that you and I have to carry alone. It's something that has merit and substance, and it's something that we do with him. We do with God Almighty. This is what God is doing on earth. He's making and building disciples. More people who would behold, more people who would belong, more people who would behave. That's his mission. And then when, as disciples, we get to participate in that building. It's what God is doing. We don't do it alone. Next, I want you to, I want you to look at this passage and, and see that, that Jesus said the word go. Such a simple word. He said, go and make disciples. And often we think of that, we think of that in this like imperative present tense. Okay, go with me here for a second. We think go means I'm telling you to go. But really, it's actually written, I'm gonna get a little technical with you. Go with me for a second. It's actually written in the aorist, it's an aorist passive participle, meaning this. It's written in the past tense. And so what really it's saying is this: while you're going. Meaning you're already going somewhere. You're already going through life, meeting people. You went to Kroger yesterday. You know, it's like you went to your job. Like you're, like you're going places. You go to the baseball field and you meet the parents and, and you have that extended family. You got the black sheep in your family. You're going anywhere. You're going down airline and cussing a little bit because of the traffic. You're going anyway. And what he's saying is, I love what Jesus is saying. It's not just get up and go. He's saying you're already going and while you're going, Make it your mission and your identity to make disciples. Be always building wherever you go. And make disciples of all the nations of every type. So the nation of your family, the nation of your job, the nation of Walmart and Kroger, the nation of your neighborhood. Wherever you go, as you are going, build disciples. Because you're already going somewhere. And so share what you've beheld. 
Share how you have belonged. Share the reason why you behave the way you behave because of who you belong to. Share your story. See your life and everywhere you go as an opportunity to build a disciple. That's what, that is what Jesus is saying. As you are going through your life, take off the lens that this is about building my kingdom and it's about me and it's the most important thing in my life is, is my, my world that I'm building and make it about building my kingdom, building disciples. You know, Romans 10, 14, Paul says this, one of the, probably the greatest disciple ever lived of Jesus said, but how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? Someone's got to tell something. Someone's got to tell about Jesus. Someone's got to say it. Someone has to embody it. Proclaim it. Talk about what God has done. And then lastly, Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. The idea is this, that everyone is a potential disciple. Anyone can learn about Jesus, his life, his method, and his way. We say that, right? But do we really believe that? Do we really see that in the people that we bump shoulders with every day? That guy could really be a disciple of Jesus. Like that coworker of mine, she really could be a, a learner of Jesus Christ. Because you know what it means to disciple someone to Christ? It simply means this. I'm going to bring that person to accept Jesus as his or her teacher. That's what a disciple is. That's what, that's what making a disciple is about. I want to lead you hand in hand to come and sit at the feet of the one who has changed my entire life. And I think he's going to change yours too. Behold what I behold. Come on, take off the veil. Belong where you, I belong. Come on. Now let's get up and let's do what he did. Come on. And they experience life change. And then one day they wake up and say, they go by themselves and do it. And one day they wake up and they're like, man, he is a good teacher. He's everything you proclaimed he was, Alex. Yes, he was. That's building a disciple. And everyone could do that. Everyone can do that. Because here's what I believe. If we really believe that he has all authority, that he has all the answers, that he's the one that, that's truly who we're meant to become, like Jesus, then we should desire for all to know him, all to follow him, all to be his disciple. This is why belonging, believing, behaving, beholding, all of it works together. Because I'm convinced that the more you behold who God really is, the more you behold the treasure of heaven, Jesus, and you behold his beauty, his glory, his majesty, his dignity, all that he is, you want to see others know him like you know him. You should, you should feel a frustration with what you know, and, and you just don't even have the words to say it. If you don't, haven't felt that yet, you haven't beheld him deeply enough. You should go beyond words. And you should be a longing to want to share. Here's what I know. And what I'm trying to say is this. My second point is, it takes a disciple to make a disciple. It takes a disciple to make this. It takes someone who's consumed with the idea of being like Jesus to build someone into someone who's consumed with the idea of being like Jesus. Beholding, belonging, and behaving. You know, I love what 1 Corinthians 11, 1 said. Probably the most boastful, I mean the most audacious Scripture that a man would say, listen to this. Paul says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is so bold. Now, in the context of this scripture, Paul is appealing for the unity in the church. And he's simply saying, listen, Christ renounced his personal rights so others could be helped. I'm doing the same, so should, so should you. That's what he's saying. But what he's also saying is a very bold claim. Imitate me because my life is a living example of what Jesus looks like. Making disciples is about being a disciple. You got to see your life as a living example of who Jesus is, the great example. Your life should resemble him. Let me ask you a question. Are you confident enough to say, confident enough to say that someone could follow your life and it look like an imitation of Christ. Do you feel that weight? Do you, do you guys, do, I don't really, like, do you feel that weight? That, I feel a weight when I ask myself that question. Because what's the first thing that came to mind when I asked that? How all the reasons why you're not qualified. 
Come on, I can raise your hand right here. You can raise your hand right now and be like, yeah, that's true. That's right. You thought about all the reasons why not. But here's what I want to clarify. Imitation is not about perfection. It's about direction. Imitation is not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about pursuit. And so Paul isn't talking about being perfect. He's just talking about being in the same direction as Jesus' example. He denied himself. So am I. So did you. Let's all go this direction. It's never about standing on your high horse and saying, follow me as I follow Christ. No. No, he's like, look at the one who gave his life. I'm giving mine. Follow us. Go in this direction. And so we can't say that Paul did this by his own strength, right? Like God has given us his spirit. He's with us till the end of the age. We don't ever have to be afraid or embarrassed to make disciples. We don't have to have all the answers. We just got to be running in that direction. That's it. Please understand that it's not about perfection. It's about pursuit. Your life is not marked by how, how moral you are, how great you are, how perfect you are. It's about what direction you're headed over time. That's an indication of where you've been. Jesus said it another way. He said, you know, a, you know a tree by the fruit that it bears. He's saying the same thing. Over time, that fruit shows where you're headed in life, not what you profess. Making disciples is essentially this, like Paul. It's inviting others to this walk of beholding, belonging, and behaving. Building disciples is about teaching others, hey, reflect with me. Here's a thought I've been thinking about. When did God make the dinosaurs? <laughs> you know, it's like, valid, valid point. But it's inviting people into repenting. Man, I, I've been struggling with anger lately. I don't know why. But I've been praying a lot about that. I'm seeing God break through some things in me. It's about, it's about behaving. Man, where are you going to be? Man, Sunday, why don't you go? Man, I'm serving. Sorry. Oh, Thursday morning, I'm, I'm packing lunches for community care for schools, Title I schools in our, in our, in our city. What? I was going to go drinking, but, I mean, that's fun. But it's inviting people in it. Why don't you come? Why don't you come with me on Thursday morning? You're not doing anything, bro. You're not for work. Let's go. It's inviting people into that. I'm building disciples. I'm inviting in people into my way of life. That's why it takes a disciple to, to make a disciple. It takes you being a person who beholds regularly, who belongs, who takes off the veil and repent, who reaches out and serves, consistent behaving like Jesus. And you invite him into that rhythm. See, some of you, I just uncomplicated a lot of what you thought making a disciple was about. It's simply inviting people into your life. That's what it's about. And guess what? It doesn't just ride on one person. My third point I want to make is this. It takes a community to make a disciple. It takes a community. Not just one. It takes a community. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the growth. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants, the one who waters have a common purpose. Each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. Get it? God's building. We're building disciples. See, Paul's using an analogy of farming to show that it takes God and a community to make a disciple. Just as a farmer will help and have a role in planting the crop and being faithful to actually take the seed and put it in the ground and water it and you, you till the ground, you're taking care of it, you're going out again the next day, you're checking it, you're We have a role in it. But man doesn't make that seed grow. That's the point is that we don't make people become disciples. This isn't about manipulation or some tactic. This is about watching God at work in someone's life and us being a co-laborer with that. And not just one, but Apollos and Paul, many, a community. See, God is at work in people's lives. Do you believe that? Listen, you will never build a disciple unless you believe that God is working in someone's life. Man, God is judging that person. It's like God is dead to them. The sin shows it. But we have to have what has to be an undercurrent of our of, of how we see people. What needs to be the flow of our life needs to be that God is working in everyone's life. So when I meet with you, it's 
It's not about you and me. It's what God is doing in your life and how I can be a part of that. Wherever you are in the journey, wherever what stage of life you're in, God is at work in your life. He's the one that makes us grow, and he's the one who causes others to grow. If he did it in me, he can. That's it. Not only that, we all have different personalities and gifts and temperaments in the room, don't we? And what's amazing is that God uses it all to make a disciple. I believe that it takes a dynamic group of people to engage a diverse group of people. It takes a dynamic group of people. Different, changing, shifting, beholding, building, belonging, behaving, gosh. Together. That can reach such a a diverse group of people of different ages, socioeconomic standpoints. I mean, my God, countries. We have many gifts that can offer and can bring people in. This is why it's so important to bring people to church, right? Like this is like the easy on road. And that's part of it, right? It's like, yeah, come, come to my life, join me. But I, I want to get you around some of these other guys I think you're going to connect with. And you're going to see a common theme with us followers of Jesus. We kind of start sounding alike sometimes. We like to honor women. We're not about that gossip. I'm more likely to pray for you than talk about you. We just have a way of life. And then they get in the community and it's like, oh, wow, it becomes this oven that just bakes them into a disciple. <laughs> you thought you came to disciple, disciple, you're at a cooking class, baby. Like we, you don't build disciples, you cook them. You put them in the oven. And so you're inviting them into your way of life. You're saying, behold with me, behave with me, belong with me. Come on. Hey, come and be around this community and you meet other people who are doing the same thing and other married couples who are different than your married life. It's like, wow, what I want what they have and start getting hungry and they want more. And it takes a community. Not just one individual, but it takes a community. So that's, think about the good news of this. Already we're, we're, we're knocking down obstacles. Because you're, you're not making a disciple alone, right? God is with you. He's working in people's lives. He says, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. You're not selling something that isn't valid. It has substance. He said, I have authority on all, I have all authority both in heaven and on earth. And you have a community to do it with. To make and to build a disciple. Which brings me to my fourth point. Discipleship. Discipleship is about relationship. Discipleship is about relationship. Look at John 1. It says, the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here's the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this. And they, said, and they followed Jesus. They left John and were like, deuces, and went to follow Jesus. It says that when Jesus turned around and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying. And they remained with him that day. And it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They caught him at the end of the work day. How many of you are cranky at 4 o'clock in the afternoon? How many of you would be like, man, I'm already tired. I'll catch you on Thursday next week, baby. <laughs> I got some Netflix and chill to do, you know. But no, he didn't do that. He, he said, Oh, you want to see? Come and see. Come on. I love about this is that Jesus is calling some of his first disciples here. And look how he did it. John and Andrew. They were disciples really of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And they left him to be a follower of Jesus. And a little side note, how many of us need to be like John the Baptist? Who are always pointing towards someone greater. Who were not worthy to untie his sandal. We should be like John the Baptist in that way. In our own life. Don't just be impressed with me. Be impressed with the one that I met with, that I know. The one who has all authority in heaven and earth. We need to be like John, constantly pointing at Jesus in our life. Sometimes subtle. I love that, they, they, I love that Jesus invites them to come and see. They, they went to his home. They saw his intimate nature and work. They walked in and they saw how his room was arranged. They watched him eat and burp. I 
I love that about Jesus. I love that so high and, and, and wonderful and majestic and kingly and dignified and yet so humble and relatable and will break bread with you. And you just invited yourself over to someone's house. Like, come and see. Come on. So relational. And that's how he won John's heart. This is John's gospel. God, the same John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The same John who wrote Revelation. And think about it. John, one of the deepest human beings who I've ever walked the earth, was won over by table fellowship. Was won over by a dinner. And we think about, like, how do we, how do we win people to Christ? How do, we, how do we do it? Go eat. It's relational. It's not this like, oh, heavenly father. It's very real. It's relational. It's raw. It's, that's how we build disciples. Not being holier than thou, not being better than, but being someone who can sit and break bread with one another. You know, I find that Jesus did this because this, because people first belong before they believe. Right? And then that's after they believe that they'll what? They'll behave. They'll behave the right way. And what do we do? We reverse it. We typically only relate to people who behave like us. Right? I hang out with the people who do what I do. Oh, that dude smoke. I ain't about it. Oh, that dude the way he talks to his wife? Uh Uh-uh, I am not about that. And we forget that, oh, wait. Oh, wow. I have to extend acceptance and belonging first for them to ever get to a place of imagining what, what else is even possible in life. That will then lead to them on the journey of trying to behave like what, like me? I thought I was supposed to be like John the Baptist pointing towards the one who's more worthy anyway. People must first know that they have a place with you. They must first belong, be accepted before they'll step out and believe something new. I love that about John and Andrew. Jesus brought them into his house, ate some din-din with them, talked shop. How many fish you catch recently? You know? And then in that intimate place, their hearts were won over. And you know, it's so funny, like, come and see. And they didn't come and see a miracle. They came and saw a meal. And they just chatted. And yet they were won over like that. So much of the world is rejecting and pushing people. But this is where the church can be such a shining light, can't we? Is that we extend an invitation to come and part, come and sup with us. That's the beauty of community tables here at NCC. That really is the beauty of it. It gives an opportunity in an organized fashion, kind of, to really sit and sup. Break bread, talk, do what Jesus did. Give people a space, a sacred space, dare I say, to belong, your home. And man, when they do, they start believing, they start seeing some things in your life that are a little different. You're not like everybody else. I don't even have a framework for that. What is this? They just start serving with you. And before you know, it's like you've built disciples. And now you're even more convinced that this stuff is real. Building disciple is about relationship. You know, some, here's a little couple practical things. We relate to people through our weaknesses, but we lead them through our strengths. And disciples of Jesus are people who do that. People who are well acquainted with their weakness, aren't we? We've beheld one who is more holy, more perfect, more everything than us. We have removed the veil. We belong with him. We've exposed what we've, what we've sinned, what we've done. And now we're humble servants sent on a mission to relate. And so we connect with people not in what? Being right, but being real. Man, my kid did the same thing, bro. No judgment. Man, I've, I've made that mistake too. And people, what is that? That's belonging. It's like, oh, wow, I'm accepted by this guy. Okay. This is why I love Jesus said it in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are meek. I love that. These are qualities of, of people who are weak. None of I shared was like strong, poor, meek. But this is the qualities that we, we associate with with other people. This is everybody. Everybody feels poor in an area. Everybody's hungering, thirsting for something. And we can relate to that. 
here's a lot of little practical thing is we practice the 101% rule. It's a rule that we have at least 1% in common with somebody. And we can spend 100% of our relationship talking about that 1%. We've all done it. You know, we got the fishing guy. We got the golf guy. You know what I mean? It's like we got the coworker guy. We're always talking about his work. Like you're at work and you're like, work, huh? It's like, it's like that's your 1%. Like y'all don't talk about your marriage. Y'all don't talk about anything else. It's like y'all talk about that 1%. And that's the rule is that all of us have at least 1% in common with each other. Actually, if we were to take the next hour and have you guys just talk and chat and do five-minute roundtable with everyone here, you would walk away saying, man, I have more in common with people than I realized. You really do. We have more in common than what we realized. I love what Dr. Robert Coleman said. He said this, one living sermon is worth 100 explanations. This is the genius of why Jesus supped with John and Andrew and won their hearts. Because it was more than just a lecture, what they could teach him, and this is what's right, you need to believe this. Is they saw something in him in his life, and it caused them to wonder. And don't think that the people that you live with, the people you live around, the people that you work with, aren't looking at your life and are wondering why you do the things that you do. And my hope is that it would be more than just, they're just good people and I'm the bad people. But that they would see Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's the other part of Jesus' genius about building disciples through relationship is that it's so effective. Next, my fifth point I want to look at is this. What type of people make the best disciples? What, What type of people make the best disciples? See, we look for fat and ready people. We look for fat and ready people. We're going to get to an explanation, I promise. So we're like, fat? John 6 says this. Now during those days when he went out to the mountain to pray, he spent the night in prayer to God. And when he came down, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Who do, who do, who do he name? Simon, who's also named Peter a fisherman, his brother Andrew, fisherman, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, and Judas, son of, uh, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, we all know, became a traitor. Jesus was not hasty in selecting those he would invest his most time and energy into. And actually, throughout the teachings of Jesus, you'll find that you are to not just be on the spiritual offensive all through life, but you also need to be on the spiritual defensive. There's moments when he wouldn't just invest in everyone. There were qualities that marked the type of men and women that surrounded Jesus' ministry. Just like for you, not everybody that you come in contact with are going to be great soil. That's a reality. And that doesn't mean that they're always bad soul. It just means people go through seasons and stages. And God is priming and prepping the heart for some to plant, some to water, but it's God who causes it to grow. Right? And so I love that Jesus spends all night praying. And actually, think about it. He actually, for those that don't know, he spent a year with Peter before he actually called him to be a disciple and to follow me and make you fisher of men. He'd been relating to Peter. He'd been talking to Peter. He saw him at the fishing. He saw him in his bow. He saw him out there. He noticed him. He knew everything about him. But he didn't do it right away. He spent a year, over a year, before he actually called Peter. Very intentional about who he called. Now, you would think that if you're going to recruit your followers and spend time, you know, picking your followers, you'd pick the most learned. You'd pick the most strong. You'd pick the most capable men, right? I want the Philip D's. But he chose what? He chose, they even said it in Acts, these men were unlearned and ignorant. Fishermen, what do they know about politics, about the way the world works? They know fish, they know this old Bible, and they know their synagogue. That's it. It's like Houghton boys, you know, just a couple of Houghton boys. I live in Houghton, so I can say that. He chose fishermen. He chose a tax collector that worked with the government and then a rebel, a zealot, who hated the government and then put him on the same team. 
I mean, that's incredible. That, I mean, that's, incre- that's incredible. It's like he chose a Republican and a Democrat. You know, it's like a liberal and a conservative, and he put them in the same room. He said, we're a team, you know. Make disciples. But why did he choose these men? Just like in your life, why do you choose, who should you choose in your life to be good soil, to invest your energy, your time, your focus in? Because one of the tools of the enemy is he, he'll send toxic people into your life to distract you. And you get so caught up about all the negative things people say and you lose sight of the mission that's at hand. That's a tool and a tactic of the enemy is distraction. Sometimes we need to, we need to have uh, the wisdom and the discernment to know what what is this? What is the, where's this person at in my life? These men that Jesus chose, they were willing to learn. They were teachable, honest, willing to confess their need. They had hearts that were big. They had big hearts. They were sincere. I think what this shows is that what we think would be the qualities that make someone a great follower of Jesus is not what we think. Sometimes we need to look for the right things. Because that's the other part of this. It's not just the devil distracting us, right, with the wrong people, with toxic people. But often we overlook the most, the most ready people in our life. I, I, I could count, I, I mean, really, though, pa- like, really, Pastor, we could really go there. Like, th- there are so many people in your life right now, at least two. I'm going to go and say that. Not just one, at least two people in your life where they are ready and poised to be invited into the journey. They don't behave like you behave, but you know them. And they have to first belong before they believe, then they'll start behaving. But they want to be invited in, they're ready. They're ready, they're fat. They're fat and ready. This is the only time you can call someone fat and it's appropriate. We need to invest our time, energy, and effort into fat and ready people. Here's fat. Fat are faithful available and teachable people. Faithful people. You know what? They show up consistently to their jobs. They smoke in the, in the back, you know, they take that smoke break, but they show up to their job every day. You know what I'm saying? They cuss a little bit, but they're faithful. Hmm, there's something there. He, may not be, he or she may not be behaving the way I like, I like them behave, but they're faithful. I'll give them that. They show up. Okay. They're available. They have margin and they're willing to give. Huh. They make themselves available. They're not always trying to like, man, I got something to do, man. I got something to do. I got something to do, man. I got something to do. I got something to do. I got something to do, man. I'm busy, man. I'm busy. But they're available. They're realizing that they're not just trying to jam pack their schedule for the sake of jam. Like they're hungry. They're they're leaving margin open for something. Sign of hunger. They're teachable. They, 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 they listen more than talk. They're not always just about saying what they know. Like they have legitimate questions. It's the quiet one who shows up to work. They smoke in the back parking lot. Got a few tats, right? Like, you know what I mean? I, I've got guys like this in my life, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? They're fat though. Ooh, give me someone fat like that. I will make a disciple out of them, baby. You don't even know. Because they're ready. It's another good acronym that you can you always know is are they ready? Is are they reliable, right? Some of these themes are going to cross over. Do they, you know, they do what they say that they would do. They're reliable. He cusses, he tells the worst stories, but man, when he says something, he does it. You know what I'm talking about? They're enthusiastic. They're excited about something. Man, they love LSU. Woo! They're excited about the LSU. Them boys, you know, they're all excited about them. They're enthusiastic about games and stuff. I, I don't, you know, it's excited about novel. Like they're excited about something, but they're enthusiastic. It's just misguided. That's all. They just don't. They, they just haven't tasted something better yet. Wait until they taste him. Ooh, they're gonna be the loudest one. Look for people that are authentic. Authentic. They're well acquainted with their weaknesses. These are people that are not awkward with it. But people who will divulge that. Man, I. I Man, I mess up, dude. You know, they don't say that. They say other things. It's like, man, I mess up, bro. But like, say, yeah. I got friends like that, too. You know, but they're authentic. They're real. And, you know, this is a mark. Gosh, I hate to say it, but you talk to people in the world, like, 
It's like people who have friends like this, it's like, man, you don't, you don't find that much in the church, they would say, right? It's like authentic, real, raw, honest about where they're at. But that makes great disciples. Lastly, the last two are this, dedicated. They have grit in their life. People who have grit, been through some stuff, they make great disciples. Because when you start talking about the cost of Jesus, they're like, the world's already cost me so much, why not? I've had someone say that to me, why not? That's, I'd rather pay that than what I paid. If you can give me something better, I'm about it. I'll never forget looking at a student, man, and he's just like, Pastor, what's wrong with smoking weed? I was like, man, I know what you're doing. You're trying to catch me in a religious debate. I'm not going to do that with you. Because I can quote 50 scriptures right now, but that's not going to mean anything to you. And I just tried, I told him, I was like, RJ, listen, sure, what if I told you that I have something better? Would you want to try it? You can't smoke it. But do you want to try it? Him and I are still journeying together. He's someone that I think of my roster of building disciples. He's one of those guys. He is. He's fat. He is. He's imperfect, but he's fat. Still praying for RJ. I love him. Lastly is this, they're youthful. They're teachable. They're teachable, right? Again, just ask questions. They're, they're more likely to listen than talk. What have we covered? Jesus commands us to make disciples. Building a disciple requires being a disciple. It takes a community to make a disciple. Discipleship is about relationship. And lastly, we look for fat and ready people in our life. Those are the qualities we look for. Not the perfect. We don't even behave like we behave necessarily, but they're fat and ready. They're ready to behold. They're ready to belong more than ever they're ready to belong. Gosh, they're ready to be accepted. And they're ready to behave. You'll show them another way. I want to give you some practical things that you can do in inviting others and helping others to Behold, belong, and behave as we, as we conclude tonight. What does building a disciple look like? It looks like this. Disciples of Jesus build disciples of Jesus through relating. And that means helping others to behold, belong, and behave. So how do we help others to behold? How do we help others to behold? We do that through discussion. It's through talking, conversation. Did you guys know that conversation is the conduit for change in someone's life? That's it. It's just a good, I, I can remember most of my life epiphany moments came from conversation. And most of the time, I was, I was angry when they were saying it. And then it came about three days later. It's a three-day warmer spot. I told you about cooking. It's like an oven. And it hits you. Mmm. Mmm. That's good. I need to change that. That's good. Conversation. Second Timothy 3.16 just says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful. Everybody say useful. It is. It's very, very useful for what? Teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, the way to live right before God, before a faithful God, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. So you can build disciples. It's actually, Paul's addressing this to Timothy, who's struggling building disciples. Where he's at, because we don't respect him because he's too young. And you have these false teachers that are rising up saying, you can love Jesus and do whatever you want. It's like, uh. And so he's saying, hey, wait, 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 wait. Timothy, go back to your roots. The Bible's really useful, man. Scripture is so useful in helping others behold. It just needs to be unpacked. It needs to be discussed. So a lot of times you come in here and you got this Bible knowledge. You want to share it with everybody. But people are like, what? But really, if you'll start off with a question and discussing it. Like that. Hey, is it sin to smoke weed? Let's talk about it. What do you, what do you believe about God? Wow, great. You don't have to be an apologist or have a, be a pastor or have a seminary just to have a conversation. And I'll tell you what, here's the best advice I can give you. You know that what people are really wanting when they ask those questions? They're not looking for answers. They're looking for mystery. Because no one wants to serve a God that they can fully behold and fully know and have in a box. No one wants to do that. I know that I don't. People are okay with mystery. So it's, guess what? Good for you is that you don't have to know everything. You could just say, I don't know. And you can use that as a way to say, but I know people who do know. Come to NCC and talk to Pastor Philip Dees. He knows. 
I'm telling you, someday, one day someone's going to come up to Pastor Phil and be like, Pastor, uh, they said that you know about dinosaurs in the Bible. What's going, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, look at Jesus. I love this. Even when he was a young man, like 12 years old, it says, when, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him, Mary and Joseph. After three days, they found him in the temple doing what? Sitting among the teachers doing what? Listening and asking questions. The living expressed rhema of God, God in the flesh, the word of God, the living word, sat and was discussing the word with some teachers. Just talking about it. It's a very interesting book. It has everything you can imagine in it. Very interesting topics. And it's just having a conversation. The Bible isn't just something to be read, but it's meant to be discussed and read out loud, actually. It was meant to be a book most people couldn't read back then. So they would, it, these letters were meant to be read out loud. Read them out loud. Talk about it with people. It's meant to be heard and prick people and what? I'm telling you, open up your Bible down south. I mean, I don't know up here, but down south, I would open up my Bible in Starbucks. Ooh, people would just flock. All the weirdos would flock. All the, like, everybody. But I'll tell you what, some fat and ready people would pop up too. And they would have, hey, I see your Bible, man. Like, what is that about? Like, what? Whoa. All right, let's talk, man. You want to know what this is about? It's a great opportunity. Discussion. It's just listening. Asking questions, discussing scripture, saying you don't know. I don't know. Let's journey together. And as long as they're going in the direction with you, you're good. That's it. Just walk with them. That's it. And so as a community, we do that through what? In Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. That's such an easy win. Get them a part of the community. Hey, come, come to church on Sunday morning. Uh, we're talking about, you know what I mean? So every Sunday, it's something different. Come, come on. I mean, you feel empty? Come and talk. We're here in this series that we're in right now. Come listen. Come talk. It's where you're at. Wednesday nights, you got questions about the Bible. Maybe we need to talk about dinosaurs. I don't know. I think there's a theme here. Pastor, I think we need to, I think we're feeling the Lord. We need to talk about dinosaurs. No, I'm joking. <laughs> what does that look like personally? Well, it looks, it looks a little different for everybody. But for me, it looks like version, a Bible app. I download it on my phone. It's one of the number one ways I've, I've, I've discussed scripture with people. From all walks of life. Most people have a phone. Most people are willing to download the latest app. They download it. They think it's so cool. Like, man, you can add friends on this thing. It's like, wow, it's meant to read the Bible. But yeah, it does that too. They have different series they can look at. And I'll just do a series. Hey, man, what's going on in your life, bro? This is a great little series on anger. Let's talk about it. And you can discuss it with them. And next time you're with them, like, hey, man, I thought that was interesting. You know, what does it say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're inviting them into behold with you. And it's like, oh, man, the ways of God are good. Next, we not only help people to behold, we help others to belong, to belong. And we do this through accountability and confession. I kind of touched on this. Matthew 7, Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but don't notice the log in your own? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. The idea is this, that we all have blind spots and we don't notice them. We have specks, some of us have logs in our eyes, and we don't notice, and so it helps. It helps to have people around us, even those who don't behave the rightly, who will call things out in you. Often it is the most unlikely people, the wisdom in the mouth of babes, who are living not the right way, who will straight up tell you, you've been a little ornery. That was rude. Get it together. Come on, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and you're like, I'm a Christian. So. <laughs> How dare you? I know God. It's kids that will call you out, right? It's the same principle. But we need that. We need people. We all have blind spots. So good to, and guess what? That's such a great way to invite people in. Hey, man, I'm not perfect. Will you help me in this area of my life? I've asked people, man, that I know they ain't living the way they should be living, but I will ask them, hey, will you help me in this area? Hey, man, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. Can they help me with this? No, I know the power above all, right? I got other Christian brothers. I got people that, I'm, that love God that are praying for me. We got it. But it's getting in with them. Look at the speck. Look at the log. I got it too. And it gives me a right, gives me a place. I make a deposit so I can make the withdrawal to say, hey, Bubba, that's destroying your marriage. Let's stop that. Hey, I got a version plan that you can talk about. Hey, Sunday morning, Pastor Phillip's talking about that on a marriage thing. Come on. 
It gives me right to make those deposits with people and those withdrawals. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. You know, when we openly admit that we're missing the part, the mark on one another, it levels the playing field, doesn't it? Because all of us, all of us have weaknesses. All of us have strengths. And again, remember we said this? We connect through our weaknesses, but we lead through our strengths. And this is exactly what James 5.16 is talking about. When I openly confess that this is a weakness in my life, and you openly confess that this is a weakness in my life, we can meet each other in strengths and say, hey, let's go back to God together. Let's pray about this. Through a community, we do this through community tables. And grow you. This is a place to rub shoulders with people, get to know and build friendships. I think this should happen organically, not mandated. It should happen organically. You'll meet and rub shoulders with people that you respect. And it's like, let's, let's talk. Let's relate. And then lastly, personal, uh, your personal way that you can do this is through that one-on-one percent rule, right? Finding one percent you have in common with somebody. And then relating through your weakness. Being vulnerable with that. Owning that first. It creates a place, a safe space to, to talk about those things and belong. And then lastly, we help others to behave. And you know we do this? We do this through prayer and service. Prayer and service. Romans 10.1 says this, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, Paul says, and prayer to God is for them to be saved. You know, I love that Paul's heart and intention is being shown in his prayer, and that's what prayer does. When you pray in front of somebody, it sheds light on your heart and your intention. Did you know that? When others hear your prayer, they're getting a front row seat to your heart. It's leadership. I'm bearing my heart before you by the way I pray, by what I pray about. I'm showing you what I want from God and what I want for you and for others. God, strike them down. You know, it's like, God, help my husband. He's horrible, but I'm perfect. God, save my wayward kid. I didn't beat him enough. You know, it's like. A little too raw, sorry. It, but my, my idea is this, that when you get people to hate, right? So what prayer does is prayer gives perspective. So when I pray, I'm getting the perspective of God about things. Prayer's not about, about, prayer's not about bending God's arm, it's about catching his heart. That's why it gives perspective when you spend time praying for people. So that's why I say the remedy to gossip is prayer. So rather than talking about someone, pray for someone. And it remedies that because what you're doing is you're getting a perspective about the person. Where at face value, it's like, I want to talk about them because I don't understand. But when I spend time in prayer about them, come on, this is a great tool in your marriage. Come on, you're, you're mad because he's doing this because she's doing this. Spend some time praying for them. You'll get perspective and get some insight about some stuff. And rather than hit with the symptoms, you get to go at the core of it and have real good conversation. That's the conduit for change. Prayer gives perspective. And so when other people hear you praying, come on. I've gone through parks. I've shared stories about this. I've, I've, people will let you pray for them. People are not scared of that. If you come up to somebody and say, hey, hey, I, I don't want to, I just, um, can I pray for you? Is that all right? I just feel like maybe you're going through a hard time. People are like, man, yeah. Even if they're not, like, I'm not going through a hard time, but I'll take the prayer. You know, it's like, they, they will. They'll let you pray. And you just pray for them. And again, what are you doing? They're getting a front row seat to your heart. And hopefully that's a heart that's after God, that's beheld him, belonged to him, and behaves like him. They're getting a front row seat of that. That's such an easy on-road to get people behaving and seeing like God. After all, you'll never do as God does until you see as God sees. And that's how we get people to see as they hear our prayers. Not only that, we invite people to serve with us. You know, people may not come to church, but people want to make a difference. And when you say, hey, come serve with me on teams on Sunday, come on, bless these babies with me. Come on, come and serve me. Come greet some folks in the morning on, in the foyer as they come in. Well, I'm not really, I'm, who cares? Come on, come and serve with me. Just come and be with me. Just come and stand. Be awkward with me. It's fun. And again, what are you doing? You're getting people in the rhythm of reaching out. Different. Not talking about people, praying for people. Not just with, withholding my resources, giving them away. Reaching. Wow. And people like that. Guys, the ways of God are not burdensome. They're life-giving. It has substance. 
And what does this look, what does this look like? Well, as a community, we do teams and community care. It's such an easy way to get people onboarded on that. You know, people, if you tell people about BTS, Back to School 2022, you share that with somebody. On this push, just say, hey, man, there's a great opportunity to make a difference. You want to do that with me? People will give to that. Man, here's $25. I'll sponsor a, a, a backpack, a class. And some people, some people, because, right, God's at work at people's hearts. You, do, you never know. Some people will say, man, I want to give more. What's this church? What do you, like, what is this? Your church does that? Churches do that? I thought all they do was, like, yell about sin and want your money. No, no, not in CC. No, we, we. And then personally, what you can do is pray and serve together. There are needs in your community. There are needs in your neighborhood, in your family. Invite someone along with you. You hear about a widow in your neighborhood? Hey, let's go mow their grass next week. I want to be dog tired after work, but let's go. Hold me accountable. Let's do it together. And oftentimes, it's the one that is not used to that rhythm who is so excited who will push you to do it too. This gives us an opportunity to make disciples when we invite others to behold with us, to wrestle with these topics. We build disciples when we, we help others to belong. We get real, we get raw. Hey, is there a log in my eye? <laughs> we, get, we, we truly help others to behave when we model in front of them through prayer and through serving others a new way of life. A new way of life. Being a disciple of Jesus is about beholding him, belonging to him, behaving like him, and it's about building more disciples. That's what this is all about. 